0: So we've called this series unbalanced where we've been attempting to dig beneath the surface of who we are as humans and Christians. We've been identifying behaviors that we fall into if our spiritual life is unhealthy. And I specifically asked to speak about today's habit because I thought this was a lesson that I needed to hear maybe more than anyone else in the room. Because I'm going to admit today's teaching is very difficult for people who are wired like me. Because I value the thought that other people see me as productive. I have a nickname here; uh, they like to call me Project Paul, because uh, when they give me something to do, that I just I dive right in and I just move forward with it. I am single-minded, focused, and as if there is nothing else in the world that exists until my project is done. But as if. That was just a flip that I switched, but once it's done, I just sit there, like, here's what I did. If I, if I was a dog and I had a tail, it'd just be wagging. Wait, all right, pet me on the head. What's next? What else do you want me to do for you? All right. And in our culture, productivity is valued. This is the message that we are sent over and over and over again. You are worth what you produce. And this message has crept in and poisoned the church. Because what Mark talked about so great in that psalm this morning, the idea of just sitting and being filled and content with God, that idea, we don't have time for that. We don't have time just to sit there and delight in God. There is too much to be done. The world is lost. The world is dying without Christ. And Jesus said himself, the harvest is plentiful, uh, plentiful, but the workers are few, so, we don't have time for that. We are entrusted with the good news of the gospel. We don't have time for anything else but saving the world. The messages are clear, and tell me if you can relate to any of these. First, doing lots of work is a sure sign that you are growing spiritually. But yeah, I mean, work for God, you know, it's good things. It's all up to you, but you're never going to finish while you're alive on earth. God can't move unless you pray. You are responsible to share Christ around you at all times, or people will go to hell. Who cares That's making every social interaction uncomfortable? It doesn't matter. They're going to go to hell if we don't do this. Things are going to fall apart if you don't persevere and hold everything together yourself. Now, are all of these things wrong? I don't think they're totally wrong. There's some element of truth to every one of these, but the problem with each each one of these statements is the foundation, you. If the core motivation of, our, of everything that we do, if that is found in our own hearts, then we're in deep, deep trouble. Because if we're the ones providing the motivation, then what we do for God is going to get corrupted by everything that's inside of us. Things like ego, power, the need for approval, defining success by what we accomplish. And this will tear us up inside because we convince ourselves that we can't fail, that it all depends on us. Instead of being self-motivated, our motivation has got to come from God's unconditional love for us. And we don't get to experience this love by doing more. We experience God by making space in our lives to be with him. And I want to start today with this statement that our character, our true inner selves, who we are inside, our character is not forged in the epic mountaintop moments of life. Rather, who we are is revealed in those moments. We go through life and we think that when the time comes, when the storms come, in a moment of trial, if we need strength, that we're going to have it. If we need compassion, we'll have compassion. If we need to be courageous, that courage will come. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you do not take the times to forge those things in the everyday moments of life, then you will not have those things when you really need them. And so today, we're going to be looking at a moment of Jesus' life, one of these everyday kind of throwaway moments. There's nothing really special about it going on on the surface, but if we pay attention to it, this will forge our character so that when we face the fire, we will have the strength and what is needed to come out the other side. And we also can see an example of what it looks like when our character is unbalanced. So let's read in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. I'll have it up on the screen in case you don't have it in your Bible. Follow along. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it's not going to be taken away from her. Just an interesting little reaction small snippet, just five verses of scripture. And again, nothing special about it on its face. It's at the home of Martha. And we could venture to guess that Mary lived with her sister and probably Lazarus too. And when we read other accounts in the Gospels, we could say that Jesus established a friendship with this family. That they hosted him regularly because Jesus didn't have a house. He said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was reliant on the hospitality of others in order to fulfill his earthly ministry. He traveled around Israel and he stayed with several different families. And he was pretty close with this one. So we have two sisters. We have this dinner. We have a teacher that's coming into their house. Probably happened more than once. And we have this juxtaposition. One sister who appears to be responsible and another sister who appears to be selfish. And one sister gets very frustrated and another one who's fulfilled. And we have a sister who focuses on what the world would say is important and one who chooses what's actually needed. Today I'm asking of myself but of all of us that we stand before correction in the word of God. The Apostle Paul writes to a young preacher in 2 Timothy, he says that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Or as I heard one of my college professors say that the Word of God tells us what is right, calls it teaching. The Bible tells us what is not right, rebuking. It tells us how to get right, correcting. And it tells us how to stay right, training. So again, the Bible tells us what is right and what is not right, right? How to get right and how to stay right. And what Jesus is offering us in this text is a correction. How to get right. It's a challenge to respond. And we are going to examine today what is available to us if we would just listen. You see, Martha was being swept up by what society would say was most important. And Mary is swept into something that Jesus says is what is necessary. Every one of us needs this. Martha's in the kitchen, but Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And we have two choices this morning between these two sisters. The difference between them is not reflected in their character. There's no character flaw on display here. But the difference is reflected in their choices. And it's a reflection of how doing good things can keep us from experiencing the best things. Because what happens to us when we don't take the time to sit at Jesus' feet? We look at the example of Martha and... We could start with Jesus' response to her. He says, Martha, Martha. Now, the tone that you have in your inner dialogue when you read that. Now, I didn't watch the Brady Bunch growing up, but anyone else here, Marsha, Marsha? It's just so close. So I've always read this as this condescending, you know, just he's talking down to her. But that's not what he's doing. Jesus was using a verbal device that he uses throughout the Gospels. He says, you read several times, truly, truly, I say to you, that's his way of saying, pay attention. I'm about to show you how the world is lying to you. So when he says, Martha, Martha, he's not looking down on her. He's being compassionate. He's trying to get her attention, saying, Martha, there's something more for you than all of this. And it's important to realize and acknowledge that Jesus cares about Martha even though he's correcting her. He loves her. He has compassion for her And that does not stop him from correcting her. And I want to say that this morning, we need to listen to what Jesus is saying to us. We need to be open to being corrected rather than being offended. Because I've always had this thought, if you are praying to a God who is never revealing to you what needs to be corrected in your life, I don't think you're praying to the God in Scripture. Martha was valuing some things just too highly. And here's the thing. Martha was serving Jesus. She wasn't doing anything bad. She was providing hospitality. She was doing good things. But even when we do good things, there could be a moment of correction needed. Jesus corrects her not for what she's doing, but for what she's missing out on. He says there's one thing that you need. There's one thing that can't be taken away from you. And it's, that is not the thing you're focusing your life on. She's serving Jesus, and that is good, but she's not experiencing him. He's in her house. He's not there for a fancy meal. He doesn't care if the wine tastes good or if there's a centerpiece on the table or if the salad fork is on the outside. He doesn't care about any of that. He wants Martha to sit with him and to have a relationship with him and experiencing him. Because macaroni and cheese with Jesus is better than a gourmet meal without him. And he's saying, Martha, come out of the kitchen and sit down. Mary's chosen what is better. So when we start to prioritize the wrong things, if our life is unbalanced, and if we're focusing on these things, there are some indicators. First, there's going to be inner turmoil. In verse 41, Jesus says that you're worried and upset, you're anxious and troubled. The phrase that uh, Luke is writing here in its original context, it would be saying that, Martha, you're being torn to pieces inside. You've got a thousand things going on, and none of them are that important, but they're killing you. So I want to ask you, and God's watching, all right, how many, how many of us just hate Mondays? All right, a whole bunch of liars going on, all right, or, if you're, or you're psychopaths and you love Mondays, I don't know what's going on, but we hate Mondays because it's as if everything's reset and everything that we just did over the past week is just doesn't matter anymore. It happens to all of us. We get so caught up in what needs to be done, and all the, people that, all the things that people expect of us and going above and beyond, we get so wrapped up in all of this. We want to show Jesus in the world how much we love him by how hard we're working, but it's tearing us apart. Martha's trying so hard to do, that, to do what is expected that she misses out on what's actually needed. Jesus contrasts the two sisters, and he says, Martha, you're not doing anything wrong, but you're not doing what's best. And what Mary has chosen can't be, taken away, can't be taken away from her. For Martha, there was no rest, no time to stop and think. It was go, 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 do, do, do. She was performing. She was productive. In today's world, we would look at her and go, what an industrious woman. Rosie the Riveter. You know, we can do this. All right? And Jesus is saying, all that's true. And there's nothing wrong with any of that, but she's not taking what she actually needs from me. Second, there's resentment towards others. Now, you can tell in this text, even if the Bible never tells us that these two girls were sisters, right? Because what happens? You know, she said, Jesus, don't you see what she's doing? Tell her to help me, all right? And we've all done that. We've all narked on our brothers and sisters because they weren't carrying their weight, right? And, she, and she's saying to Jesus, how can she sit there while I'm working so hard? This isn't what? Fair. Fair. Third, there's suspicion towards God's goodness, You look at verse 40. Lord, don't you care? Wow. All right. But is the question whether or not Jesus cares about Martha? Or is the the question, Jesus, don't you care about the things I care about? And at that point in time, Jesus was like, no, not really. No, what you care about is tearing you apart. And none of them are going to last. Martha, there's going to be another meal tomorrow. And a meal of the day after that, another one after that, you are wasting a good opportunity today so that you could do something that could be done another time. The point Jesus is making here is that, Martha, I don't need all of this. I need you. I don't care if everything's perfect. I don't care if society tells you what a great hostess you are. I don't need any of that. I need you. So what happens when we don't sit at Jesus' feet? Our life gets unbalanced. We focus on things that aren't nearly as important as we think they are, and we invest our lives in things that are going to be taken away from us and given to somebody else. So, But also the question is, what happens when we do sit at Jesus' feet? What happens is that we receive something that we can't get any other way. The one thing that we need cannot be getting, can't get, gotten, I forgot how to talk. The one thing that we need need, we cannot receive any other way than sitting at Jesus' feet. You get him. And the way that you get Jesus is to submit yourself to him by sitting at his feet. You don't get him on Sunday mornings in a 30-minute chunk when a guy like me stands up here and tries to teach you what God has taught me. You get Jesus when you spend time with him. So the meal's not as amazing as it could be. And but instead you have joy, relationship. Love, trust. And what does this mean to sit at someone's feet? Mary is putting herself physically, spiritually, and socially at Jesus' feet. She sat as his student, as his child, and as his friend. This image of being at the feet of someone in the culture of that day, it was a sign of submission and trust. Parents would bring their children and sit them at the feet of a rabbi, and that meant that the rabbi was going to train them to try to encourage them in the gifting that God gave them. It's this powerful image that we as Americans need to learn because we don't want to sit at anyone's feet but our own. We need to learn this lesson because Jesus says it very plainly, this is what is necessary. So what is it going to look like today for us to sit at Jesus' feet? First, we need to understand Jesus cannot be understood in hot takes. You can't get 30 minutes of Jesus or 60 minutes of Jesus once a week and think that you got it. You understand who he is. Our Sunday morning services are designed to cause you to contemplate and meditate on God's word and then continue your own journey of knowing him more. It takes time. It's going to take saying no to some things that seem so important so that we can say yes to the thing that is most important. And it was pointed out to me recently, and this is a story that's been told many times in John chapter 12, there's this moment of scripture that after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead and there was another home and a meal, there's a gathering in Martha's home once again. And this was when Mary uh, brought out a big jar of perfume and she pours it on Jesus' feet. It was extremely expensive, and the disciples were in the room, and they were just saying, look at her. What was she doing? That that was very expensive. That money, we could have sold that and used that to feed the poor. What a waste. And why would someone do that? And Jesus says, no, what she's doing is preparing me for burial. And what she has done is going to be spoken of forever. But what I didn't discover until I heard it this week was that Mary was the one who got it. She was the one who got Jesus. She was the one person who realized that he was going to die. She was preparing him for burial, and Jesus had said repeatedly to everyone,, "They're going to kill me. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. I'm going to die. I'm going to have to die as a ransom." And the disciples were like, "Nah, I don't think that's going to happen." They never sat at his feet. They'd never understood it. They didn't understand the night he was betrayed. They didn't get it after he was crucified, and they were hiding in a locked room. They they were scared for their lives. They didn't understand what he had been telling them over and over and over again. And I believe that Mary was the one who got it because she sat at his feet. She understood because she was listening. Because you only get Jesus when you sit at his feet in no other way. In Mark 14, verse 9, we read that what Mary has done, what Mary did by anointing Jesus, that that would not be forgotten. And thousands thousands of years later, you have some guy on stage talking to you about it. It's true. There's no menu of what Martha served. We don't have a roster of everyone who was in the room. None of that's recorded. But what mattered is what is remembered. And the thing about Jesus is that he never asks us to do something that he himself did not do. Jesus submitted himself and he sat at the feet of his father. He submitted himself to the will of the father every time. And remember, the epic moments of life are not what forge your character. The everyday moments are what do. They prepare you for the epic moments. They, the epic moments will reveal your character and all the work that's brought you to that point. And Jesus submitted himself to sit at the feet of God's will. When he's carrying his cross, he sees women who are weeping on the road to Calvary, and Jesus quotes to them from the book of Hosea. When he's on the cross dying, he quotes from Psalm 22. When he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he quotes scripture. What came out of Jesus in the worst moments of his life, when he was beaten and starving and betrayed, it was scripture. In the garden, he cries out scripture. He dealt with the deepest and worst parts of his life by quoting from the word of God. And how is it that he came to cry out God's words in those moments? Because he knew the word of God by spending time with him. He consistently withdrew from crowds of people who just wanted to adore him. They wanted to crown him as king of Israel. Instead, he said no to that and withdrew from them to be with God. And would any one of us dare to say that Jesus had an unproductive life? Not at all. But Jesus was showing that a fulfilled life can only be achieved when we tap into the true source of power. We get that by being with God. And I want every one of us to have a life of abundance and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And if we want to have that, then we have to be able to answer this question. Is my life about what I want? And I hope that answer is no. Because what I want, well, I want to be respected and adored. I want to have a full belly and a big bank account and a big house. I mean, the things I would chase after, if I was left to my own devices, I would build up a stockpile of rubbish that's just going to get taken away from me when I die. But if I carve out time in my life to just be with God, he will reveal his will for my life. And when the storm comes, and it can't be avoided, it comes for all of us, I am of the opinion that there will be no strength when you need it most. There will be no courage when you need it most. If every day you are not doing what it takes to be strong and courageous in Christ. When the big moments of life come upon us, we're going to default back to what makes everyone else think best of us. What makes us feel most powerful or what protects our interests instead of saying, God, your will, not mine. And it's really easy in a sermon to make it all about information, all about trying to just uh, capture our intellect. But the one thing that needs to happen, the one thing that we need to prioritize over everything else is that which feeds our soul. That's what we need to know. And so how do we do this? How do we experience this? And I'm going to start by saying, the Funk family doesn't have it together. We definitely don't. This is the same challenge for all of us. We need to take time out of our lives so that we would just listen to Jesus. If we're going to take that time, then we are going to have to say no to some other things that have us the most busy. And I want to be clear here, I don't think that the things that are keeping us busy are bad things, I'm not up here saying that those are things you never should have been involved in. That's not up to me. Take that up with Jesus, all right? But I'm thinking that the majority of the stuff that keeps us busy, they are good things. They are not bad things. It might be sports. There's nothing wrong with sports. It could be music. I can honestly tell you that I would not be here on stage today if it wasn't for countless hours of practice and music groups and everything that I participated in over my life. It could be academic pursuits, scholarships, work. It, again, none of these are bad in and of themselves, but none of them are what you need. I can say this, even the work of the church itself, I, aside from maybe my boys, I think uh, this building and, uh, and you all keep me busiest out of everyone, and I'm not complaining. The reason I do so much for the body of Christ, if my motivation for doing that is because I want to be known, then I'm missing out. If I am doing this so that I would just live for the applause of the audience or the congregation, I would get maybe 30 seconds of praise and the most haunting words of Jesus to my soul, you have received your reward in full. So when we look at our lives, the question that we have to ask ourselves, what is the message we are sending with our lives? So parents, I have a word for you, one parent to another. Are you teaching, training, and encouraging your children towards their soul's work equally to the way that you teach, train, and encourage them towards their sports or their schoolwork or music or social activities, friendships, dating relationships, you name it. And if the answer to that question is no, I don't want us to get angry. I want us to be corrected. We need to realize that the relationships of this world, every single one of them is going to end in either death or breakup. The only ones that are going to last are those that are are eternal. So when parents, when I look at this, I'm asking today, and I'm not suggesting that your kids shouldn't be in sports. Mine are. They should absolutely pursue academics. That's a part of forming them. But at the end of the day, is the soul work being done with equal effort? And do your children know that that matters to you? I meet parents regularly who say that they love Jesus, but they would never let their children miss a sports practice. They never let their child miss a tournament or a concert or a band practice, but they find it okay to not go and be with the body of Christ on a Sunday or to go to a small group or a midweek Bible study so that they could go deeper into the Word. They dismiss that like it's not important. Your children are not missing that lesson. They know what's important by the way that you are investing their time in the way that you invest in them. So you don't have to do one or the other. But Jesus is telling that you need to do one. Jesus is inviting us, sit at my feet. And if you think that this is just rolling your eyes, another minister begging for attendance on a Sunday, not at all. This is not about attendance. This is about the conversations that need to be happening Monday through Saturday. So if you're not in the house of worship on a Sunday morning for a very good reason, don't worry about it. But are you having conversations with your children about the most important things? Are you expressing to them that we're still going to worship Jesus even though we're not in a church building? God will give you sacred space in your life if you open yourself up to it. We are telling our families what is most important. And my prayer today is that we would stand up and say that the soul's work, sitting at Jesus' feet, that that is more important than anything else that we invest our lives in. You can show up to church and still not experience Jesus. But we need to stop the world for a moment and say that I am about something bigger than what this world demands of me, and so is my family. Jesus is teaching that there's many demands of us, and many of them seem crucial, and the world presses this on us, but only one thing is needed, and that one thing cannot be taken away from us. And that thing is sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him, thinking about him, speaking to him, and listening to him, and then responding. There are so many things available to us. I mean, this is going to sound like a commercial, but do you realize how blessed we are to live in the age of technology that we do? I mean, there are resources available to us to help us to sit at Jesus' feet like no other time in history. We have podcasts, we have sermons, we have videos online, whatever you need, we got it. And so there is no excuse to be distant from Jesus. He came to us. He came to be in us. And so what is our response are we angry? Dismissive? Yeah, whatever, guy. You're, you're paid to do this. You're right. Exactly right. But I'd still be empty in my soul if I didn't spend time with Jesus. Are we awakened? Is the world tearing you apart and you can't catch your breath? Preacher, you just don't understand the pressure that I am under at work. Martha, I get it. What you're doing isn't bad, but you need to carve out some time. Get rid of something that you can get rid of so that you can fill your soul and protect yourself so that those epic moments come when you need courage and strength and faith that you've built it every day. I read this week that you cannot give the world what you yourself do not possess. So when we sit here and say that the world needs Jesus, it needs uh, Christ, it's dying without him, I think that's absolutely right. But if our version of Jesus is a list of obligations and tasks that need to be done so that Jesus will pay attention and love us, the world's going to say, no thanks. I, got, I, got, I know where to get that. I don't need that from you. We are not against the world. We are for the world, finding its Savior. But we, can't give, we cannot give the world a life of completeness in Jesus if we ourselves do not have that. And if you're here today in church or Jesus, if that's a new idea for you, we'd we'd love to have a conversation because I bet you can relate to this idea, is the world tearing you apart? Listen to the words of Jesus. The world cannot give you what you truly need. The world wants to tell you that you're just a cog in its machine, a part to be thrown away once it's no longer useful. But Jesus is calling out, no, I want you, warts and all. And he will take and shape our lives into something beautiful. If you have a prayer or something that you need, invite you, you can uh, come forward. We'll have someone meet you down here or if that's not comfortable, we'll have elders to meet you at the doors as we go out. We don't want to put you out of your comfort zone, but we do want to invite you to respond to Jesus' words as we stand and sing a song to the only one who we will ever need.